0: Okay, I'll ask you to turn, please, to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 9. We'll be there in just a moment. But also coming from, jo- from chapter 9 of Hebrews is a verse that we first introduced in a sermon several weeks ago. We've been talking about, as you know, those of you who have been here, we've been talking about conscience, our conscience, and how it's used by God. We've made the point that not many sermons are preached on this issue because it's in none of the theology books, and very few preachers tend to take it on, and I just don't know any better. But I was somewhat surprised to find that a subject is so seriously dealt with in the Word, and I, at 80 years old, have never heard a sermon on the conscience. So we've been finding it throughout the sermons that we've been preaching. And there's another place this morning, but it all comes from this one fact that establishes the value of our conscience in our spiritual life. We tend to want to separate our conscience, which can be in the life of an unbeliever, from the conscience and in the life of the believer. So it says in... Hebrews 9 and verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your... That was description of Christ. And he was the one that will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now there are two kinds of works that we were created for. And Hebrews makes that distinction that there is a group of works called dead works. They're those works that you call yourself, you and I call ourselves doing it for God. God didn't ask us to do it, didn't tell us to do it and didn't assist us through the activities that we did for doing that thing for God. That's called dead works. You don't receive a reward for it. You chose to do it, and you did it your way, and God really wasn't in it. And there's a lot of people in churches today who do not realize there is such a category of things that they do For the Lord, they say, that are dead works, that he didn't ask you to do them, and you will not get rewards for it. So, with that establishing our issue that we've been preaching, that our conscience is something that when Jesus comes in at salvation, the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us at the time of our salvation starts to work on whatever conscience is there already and we establish the fact that when Adam and Eve, the only two people who were created at the time, sinned and they both were made guilty of their sin by their conscience. And they hid from God and made coverings of their naked bodies with leaves. And God comes through and says, Where are you? And they said, We're hiding over here. And he said, Why are you hiding? They said, Because we were naked. And I think the next word from God makes him so close to the way we do things. I, I, I'm more and more learning how much of an am, image of him we were made, or them that we were made in. And he said who told you you were naked? You didn't know it before and now you know it. So you know what that means. You ate of the tree of knowledge. You sinned. I told you not to. So I'm convinced myself that when there were only two people in the world, they had a conscience. And that conscience was that they had was active enough in their daily goings about to convict them of the sin that they did, which was not a sin in the Bible for everybody. It was just for them. God told Adam, Don't eat of that tree. So we know, too, if we have any experience whatsoever with that Holy Spirit, that thing that lives inside of us, that there are things that that Holy Spirit tells me as an individual that I'm not allowed to do, that have nothing to do with the rest of the Bible. I'm the only person I know that he says don't do that. We sometimes think that we try to do all those things that we've learned in the book are no-nos from God but there are things that he will have me not do that he explains in other places that it's perfectly okay for you and everybody else to do it unless he has called you out specifically and said, don't do that. So we see, I mean, when I first tackle this thing about a conscience, I've had people tell me they didn't have a conscience. But they do. They might not know it as such, but they had it. If Adam and Eve had it, they have got it too. So our book says in the ninth chapter of Hebrews, In verse, well, we'll kind of start at the first of the chapter to get you a little bit in the context of where they are. Then verily, the, verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinance of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. And then he goes on to explain the tabernacle. If you've ever sat in, in sermons and on the subject of tabernacles, you understand that that was the tent that moved with the children of Israel across the desert. And God lived in it. Back in the back, behind the first veil and the second veil, in the Holy of Holies, he was back there with the ark of God and Moses' rod that, 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 that budded and bloomed when God sho- he needed proof and God showed him proof by making a dead stick grow leaves and limbs and bloom. And it was in there, the showbread and some other things. But God lived in the holy of holies in the back. Now, on everyday situations where priests dealt with sin, they went into the first room, the first tabernacle, they called it, and did their business with God about sin. Then once a year, you may remember, they had two goats, and one of them was designated a scapegoat, and they turned the other one loose in the desert, and the high priest went into the second room, into the Holy of Holies. They tied a rope around his ankle, so in case his sacrifice of this other goat, the blood of this other goat, was not accepted for his sins, and God killed him in there, they could drag him out with a rope. I never knew of a situation that said in the Bible where they had to do that, but they took their precautions. One time a year, that high priest went in there with a rope around his ankle and prayed to God and offered the blood of that other goat as sacrifice for his sins first and then for the sins of the people and that's the situation they're talking about, that that whole program wasn't the right program. God knew it wasn't, and a lot of them also knew it wasn't also. So he's talking about where we are today, But in the second time when he went in there for the errors of the people, I think there is an interesting point to be made. Aaron, the high priest, went in there for his sins. He also went in there for the people's sins. But there's something particular about the people's sins. It says they're errors. But into the second went the high priest alone, verse 7, once every year not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Now those errors are sins that he tried to sacrifice forgiveness for, for those people were sins they did not knowing that they were sins. They were accidental sins. There were no sacrifices in the Old Testament for sins that we as people did that we knew were sins and we did them on purpose. A lot of people don't know that. They think that everybody had to offer sacrifices for their sins on a daily basis like, and they were commanded to do that. But that was supposed to be for sins that they accidentally committed, not that those they did on purpose There was no sacrifice for a purposeful sin. But in verse 8, the Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest for us. It was not showed to us that we had a way to God. Only the priest... While in the first tabernacle was yet standing. Now there's something that we all need to understand. This is not a detail, this is a big thing. You know the story about when Jesus cleansed the temple. God lived in a tabernacle till they built a temple at Jerusalem. Then he lived behind the veils in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And it was treated the same as the movable temple the tabernacle was in the wilderness. When Jesus went in and cleansed that temple, when he threw the money changers out and took a whip made out of cords and ran the crooks out of the church, when he did that, that was God's signifying that he no longer was going to be living in that temple. He was not going to be behind the hole in the veil in the holies of holies. That's not where he was going to live anymore. And Jesus was giving the people, the Jews, that idea when he did what he did to the temple, which they all thought was above reproach. Nobody could do that to the temple of God, but Jesus did. So it caused everybody to talk. Here was a group of people, probably most of the people, the average people in Jerusalem, that were saying Jesus was the Messiah. But yet, he had pulled this deal of going and cleaning out the temple, which they all thought was 100% sacred. Then the next thing that happened, if you remember, involving that veil, going into that holy of holies, was when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And when he gave up the ghost and died, that veil in front of the back room, the Holy of Holies, where God lived, was ripped from the ceiling to the floor. And God did it. We're not protecting this place anymore, God says because I don't live here anymore. You remember what he said? He said in prophecy back in the Old Testament, I will put the law of my spirit in every man's heart. He will have the law inside of him. It won't be the tablets of the Ten Commandments back in the Holy of Holies along with the, the, the uh, 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 Moses' rod and those other things it won't be there no more because I won't be there. And he moved out and 50 days later after Jesus was, 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 was resurrected, at Pentecost, the church started. And since that time, God has lived in our hearts in the form of a part of him that is called the Holy Spirit. When we all walk out of this building, unless God wants to be here for a special reason, He's not. you can't accept that he's here. That church down the road, God don't live down there. He lives in the people that walk in and out of it. And we need to understand that. That where we go, we carry God with us. So it says the Holy Ghost, verse 8, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest or told to the people like you and me while as of yet the first tabernacle was yet standing. As long as that place was considered where God lived, what God had planned for us in the form of Jesus, what he called the Reformation, couldn't happen. God couldn't be in two places. Or he could be in every place, but I mean, it's his plan that he not be. Which was a figure for the time then present. In other words, all those ordinances, those sacrifices, all those dead doves and animals and bulls and sheep and goats. That was a figure for the time in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. You see this? It wasn't working. That did not bring you salvation. Killing all those animals didn't have anything to do with making you perfect. Could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to his Conscience. Now look here. This is something I didn't know last week. Those guys in the Old Testament, they are going by the law strictly. They are doing obedience to God, thinking they were going to be okay. But the whole time they were doing it their conscience was telling them, this is not working. This is not going to work for you. And so then at Pentecost, when the church started, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, saw that we were told the truth. And we were told we didn't have to do those things anymore. They wasn't working. God planned for us to have a salvation that cleared our conscience, that our conscience said was okay, that our conscience said you don't have to feel guilty. Jesus has forgiven you everything that you've ever done in the way of sin. Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings, different kinds of washings and carnal ordinances, those of the flesh, not spiritual things. The sacrifices and all these little rules were not spiritual things. They were fleshly things, things you did with your body, things you couldn't do, things you could do, things you were allowed to do. How many steps you took on Sunday was even 67 steps was the most you could walk on Sunday. All those rules. They had them one for everything. And carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So, until God brought reformation with Jesus Christ and the way that we could know that we were being forgiven for our sins and not have to do anything about it other than ask for it. That was what was on the way. But those things that God told, imposed on these people to do, their own consciences at the time were telling them, I don't know about this. I have no, 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 no confidence whatsoever that what we're doing is going to make us wind up with God. But just to throw a little rabbit trail in there, the same thing that brought us to salvation in the New Testament, faith Faith in God and in Christ and what happened on the cross. Same thing in the Old Testament brought us to God too. Those who were considered godly people in the Old Testament got there by faith, by believing God. but Christ, verse 11, being come and high priest of good things to come by greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of the building. So you see, the buildings, no more. It says over in 1 Corinthians that God is not building buildings anymore like he built the tabernacle and the temple. He's building his buildings today since Pentecost with people. People is the material that he builds his buildings with. So God is not in the building. He's in you and I. So the cleansing of the temple was to put a stop to the worship of God at a temple and a tabernacle, and to put it in our hearts. That word reformation interpreted as getting things right. (laughs) So the whole program in the Old Testament wasn't getting things right. And until Jesus came, what he asked us to do was getting things right after he came. so conscience played a part and made the old testament person who looked toward god made his conscience or or the conscience made him guilty and feel guilty because of the things he were doing because it never satisfied his conscience so let's turn now if you will to second thessalonians right back over left a few pages in chapter 2. That is pretty much of a full synopsis, well, a full story, let's say it that way, of what happened before Jesus came and what we could expect. And then came Jesus, Now I want to make this point before I get into this. The average person in that day, some of you have heard me say this, the average person walking the streets of Jerusalem in that day knew more about Satan than he did about anything else in the world. Way more than we know today. When have you walked by a cemetery and had a man that was possessed of the devil run at you and try to beat you up? It don't happen in Montevallo, I've never seen it. It don't happen over here at Cedar Grove. They had demon-possessed and demon-oppressed people all around them every day. They saw the proof of the work of the devil and knew at that time Satan owned the world. What validated Jesus? Two hundred men came and claimed to be Jesus in the period of a few years. What made them believe him instead of the others? Now the others died, but until those others died, the people believed in some of them. But the one thing that made these people in the streets believe that Jesus must be the Messiah is he is the only one that took the control of the devil off of a man. And the man went and put on clothes and shaved and acted like human beings instead of like some kind of animal. That was the proof to them that Jesus was stronger than Satan. And you remember, Satan fell out of heaven onto the earth. He didn't fall out and go to hell. He, he, he I guess he can go to hell anytime he wants to. But that's not his place where he lives. He lives on this earth with you and I. And he's everywhere. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 13. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica and saying But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you brethren. Paul is saying we're thanking God for the way you guys have handled salvation in Jesus Christ. Brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Same thing that we all get To get to be a Christian, you've got to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. This is a word to us today. Everywhere I turn, And I hope I'm not better able to recognize it than you are. I hope you can see what I see. But whenever you turn on the news, you hear about Satan, people doing things for Satan. When you read the newspaper, you read about people doing things that are under the control of Satan, just like these people lived in that day. So he's giving us a message to look around. Those people in that day knew that if they had been called to God through the salvation that was in Jesus Christ, that they were special people. Nobody had to tell them that. They knew it. And today, there's so many people don't even believe in, in Satan. They say 70% of the United States doesn't. I don't know. I've never taken account myself. I've got other things to do. But I say this there's a lot of people acting like they could care less if Satan was riding around in their hip pocket. And he's behind everything that is called sin in this United States. So stand fast when you look and see all this power that's being utilized all around you to do evil to give away this United States to whoever wants it. Realize that you, with what you have, have got to stand fast. Stand fast and hold to what you have been taught by Bible or teaching. He said epistles in this book. Wherefore, verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. That's letter. The word epistle in those days was a letter. And you know after you get through the four gospels, everything after that is a letter that has been written by someone who was there and saw and lived every day with Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about whether it's by hearing the word from somebody teaching or by reading it yourself out of the Bible. you got to stand fast and hold to what you believe. Don't let this business that's going on rock your boat. There's a word used in verse 16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation, establish you. That's the word we call established today. Establish you in every good word and work. And that word consolation there given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. That word consolation is is what we say is give us peace to our conscience. How many of you, after being taught that you need to not make any kind of a serious... Decision without first asking God and through the Holy Spirit that you say, well, what did you decide to do? Well, to tell you the truth, I did this because I had peace about it. That's true. That's not just something folks say because you see, when you do what God tells you to do, your conscience gives you peace instead of of guilt, Are you walking around today feeling like that you have done the right thing as God has directed you and you have peace because of it and you live in peace every day? He said, I will put in Deuteronomy, I will put before you a curse and a blessing. Which will you choose? When you choose the curse, you feel guilty. When you choose the blessing, you feel peace. If it was put all in one paragraph, it would be the simplest thing in the world to understand. But God has chosen to put it in little bits and pieces here and there. Stand fast and hold to what you have been taught by Bible or teaching so you will have consolation. That word consolation in their language means to draw you nearer to God. When you are drawn nearer to God, when God turns his face away from you, as it talked about in Psalms, because of your sin, God doesn't have anything, do we? And if you know that, you'll have guilt. And if you know when you have guilt to ask God to forgive you of it, because when you have have guilt and you have sin that you haven't asked forgiveness for God doesn't draw you any closer you're not growing in the Lord you're staying right where you were giving us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace grace the things that God gives you that you don't deserve So comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work because you have peace. Why do you have peace? Because your conscience is putting peace in your heart instead of guilt. It's clear. Have you ever felt guilty and didn't know what you've done? Have you been in that place? I have. I have. I didn't know what I'd done to make my conscience make me feel guilty. But you ask for forgiveness not knowing what you did. If you've got guilt, you've done something. And I've had to ask for forgiveness for something that I didn't even know I did. It's like Daddy told that young fellow, don't worry about spanking your young. You know he's done something you didn't give him a spanking for. You'll never catch up. So just go ahead and give him one. Don't feel guilty about it. I don't think he understood this passage of scripture right here, but that's what he told that guy. And believe me, he lived it too. So when you've been discomforted, and you've had guilt, please, regardless of whether you can put a handle on it or not, ask God to forgive you. That covers it, even if you didn't know. Now the thing is, if you didn't know, you may do it again. Ignorance of your sin brings repetition of that same sin. But the thing is, God will show you again He'll tell you what what you repented for the other day. That's what we're talking about right now. That's what you did. And you see that you just did it and you have guilt about it, just like you had when you couldn't see it. But you know now, it's like Paul said, I wouldn't even know covetousness was a sin if it hadn't been in the law. So there are times when you find out something in your life that God does not want you doing. You can't say until you find it in the Bible. He don't want anybody to do it. You just can say, He don't want me doing it. So let me tell you what happened to me. He gave me guilt because of that and a great deal of discomfort and I was almost sick because of what I'd done and didn't know what it was. That's when a person has had discomfort and got through it with God. God will see to it that you know what you're not supposed to do, whether it's written in the lines of this book or not. I preach it like it's written in the book. I do it like it's been handed to me because I've learned there's things I'm not supposed to do that's perfectly all right for you. There's the plan. There's the program. I don't know that I can add anything to it. That's the way we live today. That's the way we're supposed to live as Christians today. Being aware of what we do wrong. Sanctification is cleaning up. And that's what God is doing us now that we understand and know salvation. And we know Jesus and we're called Christians is that we are doing away, putting up those old habitual sins that we came into the church with that we didn't even realize they were sins when we were doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us this plan that if we didn't understand it, Hopefully, we understand it now. That we can add another thing in our mind that we have to live with in being your children. Teach us, Lord, what our sins are and cause us to repent daily. If I sin daily, then I need to repent daily. And probably, Lord, you know, some of us sin so much that we'd have to pray two or three times to keep up with it all because we don't often know what we're doing wrong. Lord, we know that anything that keeps a person from being able to go to you, if we say a word that causes some person on their way to you to salvation happen to trip and hold up their salvation, is sin. We never know what that word might be. So Lord, teach us to live like you want us to live. And however that is, we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, Amen.